Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, through chapter 5, verse 5. And I'll read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 as we prepare to hear from lead pastor Travis Simone as he talks to us about what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. Well, as we come this morning to what God's word teaches about brothers and sisters, let me tell you a little bit about my sister. Her name is Ashley. She's my only sibling that I have. And we fought a lot growing up. One of the more famous fights that we had growing up was in the back seat of a car, not surprisingly, on a long road trip when I cried out to my parents, Mom, Dad, she's looking at me again. If you don't have anything to fight about, you just make it up. She's looking at me again. When I was in the seventh grade, she got her license to drive, and she was in charge of taking me to school. She would get frustrated if my feet brushed up against the dashboard. How do you think I responded to that frustration of hers? By placing both feet directly on the dashboard as often as I possibly could. I'll never forget, though, one time, my Aunt Jeannie, my mom's sister, came to me on a joint family vacation when I was, making, uh, when I was uh, having some of these little battles with my sister, Ashley. My Aunt Jeannie came to me, and she said something I have not forgotten. It made it into the sermon this day. She looked me right in the eye, and she said, you are making life hard for your mother. Now that's my mom's sister, Aunt Jeannie. And she watched the way I was treating my sister. She said, you are making your life hard for your mother, my sister. And she didn't say it, but I understand what she was getting at. She said, and I don't appreciate that as a sister to your mom. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And if you want to open your Bible, John doesn't quite work in a systematic way through the passage. It's more like he sort of circles the plane around these themes. And so I'll start in 5 and then we'll go back to 4. 1 John 5, 1. I'll read it again. This is just the first part of verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. This is foundational stuff to understand what our salvation is all about. You see, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the transformation that takes place is so radical 
It's so complete and so enduring. The best analogy that the Bible gives for our salvation in Jesus is new birth. New birth. This is all over the New Testament. I've just chosen a a couple verses here. John 3, 3. Jesus answered him. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. New birth. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new new has come. Something brand new has arrived. We shouldn't be surprised that this is what is taking place when we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. For this is what was prophesied by the prophets of old in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 37, verses 13 and 14. I love this verse. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. What this means is that everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ now has a common father. This is why the most frequent way, and it's not even close, the most frequent term for followers of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is brothers in Christ. It's all over the New Testament. I've just picked a couple here to highlight this. Ephesians 6.23. This is how Paul is closing out his letter to the Ephesians. How he's, what he is calling them to as he finishes his work. And our, our sermons for the past two weeks have been from Ephesians. So I chose this. Here's the end of the book. Peace be to the brothers. And love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he call them the brothers? Because they have a common father in God. This word brothers in the New Testament and whenever you see it in the ESV translation, which is the translation that we most often use here at the chapel, there's there's always a footnote to remind us that the Greek word brothers, it's the word adelphoi can mean brothers as in two actual brothers, or it also refers to all of the siblings in a household, whether they were brothers or brothers and sisters. And so we read in, so, and so we read in Romans chapter 8, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many Brothers and sisters. That God is the Father. And Jesus Christ is just the firstborn. His resurrection from the dead is the firstborn in the new family of God. He's the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This week, Nina's Christmas present for me came in the mail. We were, I I was, my my Christmas present from from Nina was a victim to some of the the global shipping challenges. But finally, 
It arrived. It's something called a whoop. I'm wearing it on my wrist. It is sort of a, a life fitness tracker, a life fitness statistical analysis machine. And I got it for several reasons, but one of which it, it would track some of my, my sleeping habits. I, I've been having some trouble sleeping. I want to see what's going on. Do I need to go to the doctor? Do I have to get one of those CPAP, you know, blow air into my nostrils all night machines? I'm not really sure. There are a lot of other reasons I wanted. I said, Nina, what do you think? She got it for me for Christmas. I opened the box. I downloaded the app. And this is what the app said. Unlock yourself. Who wouldn't want to unlock themselves? And this company is making money hand over fist, selling these little bracelets with this one tagline, unlock yourself. And it sells the same way YouTube and iPhones sell. We're all obsessed with one thing in this life, us. Unlock yourself. And the problem is, this is how we have come to understand our salvation too. Our obsession with ourself, our, our idolatry of ourself has crept into our understanding of salvation. We think of salvation some, as some sort of unlocking of ourselves. And now we are unlocked and we're going to realize our, our full potential in this life and in the life to come. I am now saved. I am now fully unlocked to live the life I was supposed to live. And we have this phrase in American Christianity, I now have a personal relationship with God. I've said this once before. It won't be the last time I say it. That phrase, personal relationship with God, is found exactly zero times in the Bible. Zero. You see, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when you experience salvation, it is not that you unlock yourself. You unlock your family. You unlock a, a new family. God as your father, Christ as your brother, and all of the siblings that make up the household of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And here's the message, I think, of this entire passage in 1 John, starting in chapter 4, moving into chapter 5. When you love the Father, you love the Father's children. And John goes on to teach that when you love the Father's children, you love the Father. So hear Aunt Jeannie's question again. Hear Aunt Jeannie's question Again, you can go back one slide. Here, Aunt Jeannie's question again. Not how, are, how uh, you are making life hard for your mother, but how are you making life difficult for the family of God? 
I don't know that we can make God's life hard, but the Bible does say we can grieve the Holy Spirit. How is our behavior in the family of God grieving the Spirit sent to us from the Father and the Son? So I want to look at three aspects of loving the children of God this morning. We'll look at the definition of love, examples of love, and resources to love the children of God. First, the definition of love. Now we'll go back to chapter 4. I'll start in verse 8. The definition of love. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us us. The definition of love is this. Love is a person. This has been a hallmark of the chapel's Bible teaching for decades from our two previous senior pastors, Bill Warwick and Dick Woodward. They would always teach that love is not a a principle. Love is a, a person. Love is a person. Love is Jesus Christ. Where did I get that from this passage? It's all over. It's all over this section, but I'll just highlight one particularly interesting uh, part of the, the verses that I read. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. That is a direct quote in 1 John, a direct quote back to the Gospel of John and the prologue, John chapter 1. Verse 18. And in our modern world, we have things, they call them hyperlinks. When you're reading a document, you can click on a hyperlink and it will send you to the reference that the author is using. In the ancient world, they didn't have hyperlinks. They used repetition. And John, who wrote the Gospel of John, and then wrote these three letters to churches that were influenced by his Gospel, he's quoting himself to say, hey, remember what I said back in the Gospel of John. No one has ever seen God. And John would expect his readers to to toggle back and forth between these works to understand what he meant here. So what does John chapter 1 verse 18 say? It says this. No one has ever seen God. There's the hyperlink. There's the direct quote to 1 John. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is how John introduces his gospel. No one has ever seen God. But there is one who is at the Father's side. And the the literal Greek there is in the bosom of the Father. He's so close. The only way I can describe him to you is that he dwells in the innermost, most intimate part of the Father. He's in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. 
That Greek for he has made him known is literally explained him. He has explained God to us. You see, when you realize love is a person and that person is Jesus, you see that love is rooted in God's character, not our emotions. This is why John says God is love. It's God's character, not our emotions that define love. You see that human love is only a response to divine love. God takes the lead. He initiated love toward us. This is why John says not that we loved God, but that he loved us. When you see that love is a person and that person is Jesus, you see that love is costly. This is why John says God sent his only son to be the propitiation, the the covering, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see that love enables others to live. Love does not, and the purpose of love is not to engender good feelings. This is why John said that we might live through him. See, our contemporary definitions of love are so deeply impoverished that we hear things like, I love my car, right alongside, I love you. Love is a person. The definition of love is Jesus. So when we love the Father, we must love the Father's children with Jesus Christ himself as our standard And when we love the Father's children, we will love the Father. It goes in a beautiful circle. And so let's talk about some examples of this love. Some examples of love. 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What would it look like for God's love to be perfected in us? And this word perfected could also be translated completed. It's a shocking statement that there is something about God's love that requires completion. Something about God's love that requires increased perfection. And the something will be how we are to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It shocks me as I read that. So what would it look like for God's love to be perfected in us? Well, John answers this question in chapter 5, verse 2. Again, the, the argument that John is making here, he's sort of circling a plane around this theme of love If you didn't get that theme, the word is mentioned 27 times in the verses that Kara read for us. So how's God's love perfected in us? Chapter 5, verse 2 says this. By this, we know that we love the children of God. So how do we know that we're loving the children of God? When we love God and obey his commandments. So John's very clear. How do we know that we love the children of God? Well, we know it when we love God and when we obey his commandments. So what are the commands? 
And I, I was racking my brains. I can't go through every command in the New Testament this week. And I was looking for some sort of couple of representative commands. And ultimately, I, I, I decided to, to just read a lot of the commands that have to do with how we are to treat one another in the church. And I trust that God's word has power apart from man's explanation of God's word. And so I am going to read these, trust the Holy Spirit to do his work of conviction, and I'll explain a couple of them at the end. What are the commands? Be devoted to one another. Romans 12.10. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 12.10. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16. Build up one another, Romans 14, 19. Welcome one another for the glory of God, Romans 15, 7. Greet one another, Romans 16, 16. Care for one another, 1 Corinthians 12.25. Serve one another, Galatians 5.13. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. Bear with one another, Ephesians 4.2. Be kind and tender-hearted to one another, Ephesians 4.32. Forgive one another, Ephesians 4.32. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Ephesians 5.19. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5.21. Teach one another, Colossians 3.16. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Exhort one another every day. Hebrews 3.13. Stir up one another to love and good works. Hebrews 10.24. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 1 Peter 4.9. Serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, 1 Peter 4.10. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, 1 Peter 5.5. Pray for one another, James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another, James 5.16. That is a convicting list for me. I'll just comment on the first one and the last one, although there is much I have to learn from the entire list. The first one that I read was be devoted to one another. The last one was confess one another. I see people trying to write some things down. All of our slides are online if you need to Check afterwards if you want that list or come see me and I can send you some screenshots from my notes. 
but be devoted to one another. That there is a, a level of commitment that must characterize the relationships in Jesus' church. I think about how do children grow? They grow when they feel secure in their families. Where is intimacy felt between a husband and a wife? When they feel safe that this is a lifelong, permanent, unbreakable relationship. That the commitment is till death do us part. That's where intimacy is experienced between a husband and a wife in marriage. It flows from commitment. And there are so many people that long to have a depth of relationship in their local church. And they miss it because they're always changing churches. They're always looking for that perfect one where the worship is just right. And the pastor is a lot funnier than that guy that's talking right now. They're always looking for something else. When the truth is, as I've said before, commitment precedes contentment. We must be devoted to one another. My daughter, Sophia, uh, got a job this year. She turned 14 uh, and she got her first job scooping ice cream down in Colonial Williamsburg. And I was trying to help her uh, instill good financial habits right from the beginning. And so I said, Sophia, if you're old enough to get a job, you're old enough to save and you're old enough to give. And so we're going to, every time you get your paycheck, we're going to save 10% and we're going to give 10%. On the first of the month, we do that, we do that together. And I'll never forget, we sat down with the app where her paychecks were getting deposited and we, we took 10% and we set it aside for, for saving and we took 10% and, and it had a feature where you could send a check right to the chapel. And we said, all right, we're sending the check right to the chapel. And we hit send and that check got put in the mail and she looked at me and she said, Dad, does this mean I can come to those meetings and yell at you now? She really said that. <laughs> Wisdom from the mouth of babes. Does this mean I can come to those meetings and yell at you now? We had some meetings and I heard some things and I may have deserved to hear some things. And that's okay. But whatever we say to each other, it has to come from a place of commitment that even if I'm upset, I'm not going to abandon or, or desert I'm going to stay and work through it because we are devoted to one another in the church. And it says, confess your sins to one another. I once heard that there are really only two tools that God has given us in relationships. Two tools to make relationships go. Repentance and forgiveness there's a lot of truth to that. That to really make relationships work, we have to be quick to repent, to confess our sins to one another. 
It's important to confess our sins to God. And God, the Bible says, confess your sins to the Lord. He will forgive you, but confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. You'll experience that forgiveness in a real and tangible, physical way with your brother or sister in Christ. Repentance. And then to always be quick to look at that person that is repenting in front of you and say, I do forgive you. I release this. I have no demand for this debt to be repaid. We must confess to one another. We must forgive one another. Notice what the list does not include. The list never says argue with one another or assert your rights and freedoms to one another. It never says desert one another. All of what is on that list of be devoted to one another and everything that followed, this is all what John has in mind when he says, beloved, let us love one another. When you love the Father, you love the Father's children. And when you love the Father's children, you love the Father. So let's talk about some resources for love. Because if you're as convicted as I was as I went through that list of what relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to look like, uh, I need resources. I need something to move me in this direction because my sinful nature, my flesh, will not move me there on my own. So look at chapter 4, verse 7, and chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I just, oh, this is just so beautiful, the way John has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. Before God calls us to love, he calls us beloved. Before God calls us to love, he calls us beloved. Notice he doesn't just say, hey, you should really love one another. Figure it out. He says, beloved, let us love one another. And the Greek word works in English quite beautifully. The Greek word works as a transliteration in English quite beautifully. The word beloved is agapetos. Agapetos. So agapetos, what you should be doing is agape. It reminds me uh, um, of, I took Spanish in high school, and I've spent some time in Central America, and I love when uh, Latino people, they add that ito on the end of a word in order to, to bring about a, a sense of endearment. So you'll often see people, hear people call little children gordito. Gordo means fat. They'll say, oh, gordito. It's sort of like little chubby one. Little chubby one. Oh, gordito. They'll say, oh, pobrecito, oh, you poor little child, oh, gordito, pobrecito, I love it. God looks at us, he says, ah, agapetos, oh, you agapetos, you must agape, you little agapetos, you are so beloved, let that be your resource 
to love each other. Look at what, look at how we were loved, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the covering, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. While we were busy exalting ourselves, God humbled himself to take on flesh as a lowly infant. While we were busy glorifying ourselves, God left the worship of heaven behind to be humiliated on a cross. While we were busy enriching ourselves, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, had no place to lay his head at night. He had no home so that we might be loved and welcomed into the ultimate home. When we did not love God, he loved us before God calls us to love. He calls us beloved. This is our resource to love, to know how much we have already been loved by him. I believe this teaching from 1 John has dramatic implications for us personally and for the world. Let me start, let me talk initially about personal discipleship and then I'll talk about evangelism for the world. I want to come back to my sister. By the time I went to high school, she went to college. So really, how much time do you have as a child where you really can can learn from your older sibling? Third grade to, to, from third grade on? Well, by eighth grade, by the end of eighth grade, she's in college. My sister was valedictorian of our high school. She came to William and Mary first. If she hadn't gone to William and Mary and taught me how to love Williamsburg and the tribe, I don't know that I'd be here. I don't know I would have ever found the chapel. She left William and Mary, got an Ivy League graduate school education. She has a fantastic career in the city that, uh, that, you, that you say is uh, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. She lives in New York City, hard place to live. She has a fascinating career. And I look back on growing up and I think to myself, what did I miss? What did I miss out on with all of the arguing and bickering? I think I missed out on learning a lot from her. And so what do we miss out on? When we're too busy arguing with our brothers and sisters in Christ, what are we missing? What are we not learning from them? And we think about our world. This week I watched some speeches from the United States Senate floor. It's an interesting week for our country. And one of the senators said this, This is a body that 300 million people depend on. We should be talking about how we treat each other. 
we should be talking about how we treat each other, not just about legislation. We should be talking about how we treat each other, he said. This is a body that six to seven to eight billion people in the world depend on to see what the love of God looks like worked out in human relationship. We should be talking about how we treat each other. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. For when you love the father, you love the father's children. And when you love the father's children, you love the father. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and his community. Have a blessed day.